If you have your Bibles, open up to First uh, Peter chapter two. We've been doing a series in the book of First Peter, and uh, you know, typically here, um, not exclusively, but oftentimes we do book studies, and there's always uh, advantages and disadvantages to everything you do. And you know, one of the advantages is that sometimes it uh, forces the preacher uh, to preach on something maybe he wouldn't choose to preach on, which is uh, somewhat the case over the next couple of uh, Sundays. Uh, The the disadvantage is sometimes maybe you feel like, um, is that really something that relates to us, that that is is part of what I need to hear um, today? And so um, I think it is. And so we've chosen this topic as we're going through 1 Peter of exile, chosen, scattered, and prepared. And uh, so let me just uh, say... In light of that, um, we see at the beginning of 1 Peter that God chose us, which includes this idea of being exiled, scattered. And it is true of the people that Peter is writing to. They're scattered throughout this region. Um, But it's also true of us as followers of Jesus Christ. The church is scattered throughout the world. And then the last word I chose is prepared. And one of my favorite verses in in 1 Peter is 1 Peter 3.15, and as a kid memorized it, you know, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer uh, for your hope, but you're to do this with gentleness and respect, a loose NIV translation there in my memory. And the idea of being prepared to give somebody your answer, as we're going through this section of 1 Peter, what, what Peter is saying is this is how you live in the world that you live in, as exiles, chosen to be so, followers of Jesus, in such a way that your life is different and people notice it. I don't know that we're really often that different. So here's the challenge. These are are difficult passages. I said uh, last week that we're getting into a hard part of of 1 Peter as we finish up chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, Uh, next week, which will really have the preacher squirming. You don't want to miss that. So all of a sudden I got really nervous. I just got to say two of my students from Corbin are here. And now I feel like I'm really on the spot. Hey guys, extra credit for you. All right. Um, First Peter chapter two. um, I want to pick up the theme from last week in verses 11 and 12, and then read through the end of the chapter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperors as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up, for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, 
but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were uh, straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Uh, we're going to look at this in, in three parts. Uh, the context, which is really important to understand what Peter is saying. Our conduct, how he is calling us to live. And then finally, our calling as a church or a people. So the context, first of all, let's just remind ourselves that Peter is speaking to us and he's used this Old Testament language to say that you are sojourners and exiles. Um, we saw that in the reading even again this morning. Peter keeps coming back to this theme of exiles. And so we can think of uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, but more, more of a, a more consistent thought is when Judah is put off into captivity into Babylon, and then they're coming out of captivity uh, back into the land. And so what do we learn from that context? What, is, what has Peter been saying to us? We've been looking at that. And we're reminded this is in our home. That what, One of the things Peter is saying is, I want you to live like you're just passing through. And we need to remind ourselves that we're members of a different kingdom or nation, as he used that language last week. And as those different people from a different kingdom, we are also ambassadors for the king. When we look at this language from last week in chapter 2, verse 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's this, this picture of being these ambassadors and, and we talked about these hyperlinks, things that take us back to the Old Testament. And I think about being created in God's image and how we are to be his image bearers. And here we are as people now as exiles and people are worshiping other things and they're doing other things and we need to keep pointing people back to the one true God and we're his image bearers. So we're reminded that we're exiles and sojourners and then there was two key words I said last week in verses 11 and 12 that kind of set us up for this whole talk that's going through the end of chapter two into chapter three. And the first is he calls us to abstain. There's certain things that as exiles that are going on in the world around you that you should abstain from. That's one way that you make things different. Okay. And we hyperlink that right to Daniel. I'm going to abstain from eating that. Even though it, he could have, other Jewish boys did. He said, no, I'm going to I'm going to set apart, I'm going to worship the one true God, and one of the ways I'm going to do that by abstaining from this. So there's certain things that we might abstain from. 
And then the second word was keep. And specifically, we're to keep our conduct in such a way that is honorable. Now, just pause for a second. I know that these sermons, you know, maybe drag on for some of you, and you need a few things to grab on to to get you through. Uh, What did the preacher talk about? You're sitting around at lunch, and uh, somebody says, what was the main point of the sermon? Just, you can grab this. Keep your conduct honorable. Keep your conduct honorable. Let's kind of keep that in mind as we work through. So there was abstain and to keep. And then these deeds, these things that we are doing should be visible. It's not just a way that we're honorable and hiding in our homes and not doing anything. He says so that the deeds are seen. So that when evildoers see your deeds, when somebody asks you for the hope, the the ways that you're keeping and abstaining are actually visible to the world. People go, that's different. And so one of the things I said is in our culture, being exiles here, maybe we need to think about some of our rhythms and life patterns and go, are they really any different? How can we honor God in a way that shows that we're doing something different? And then uh, our salvation is part of the contact text here. We've been called out of the darkness into the light, and so it should be different. Now, I want to say just by way of context, and uh, there's, there's two things here. There's a political context that's going on in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we don't really have all the background for. When he says emperor, well, I don't have an emperor. Skip down to the next one. Masters, I don't have a master. Skip. Good, we can just skip this whole section. That's not how it works. We recognize that there is a different political structure, and especially as I'm reading this, the word free. The word free here does not mean what you think it means. When he says use your freedom, he is talking to people who have no political freedom. Okay, he's not talking to people of, in their uh, you know, American right to vote or bear arms. Or that, that's not what he's talking He's literally talking to people who have very little freedom. In fact, he is talking to people who are in slavery. And when he says, use your freedom, they might have been reading that for the first time and say, say what? He's talking about their freedom in Christ, being free from sin, free from the law. And he's saying, you've got something more valuable than the freedom that you might be seeking. And so there's a political context here, which we go, okay, this is not our context. But how do we understand scripture in light of where we live? And so my last point there is there's a specific people at a specific time. But here's what grabbed me as I was studying this. If Peter says to people who are not free to use their freedom in a way that brings honor to God, how much more does it mean to us who have political freedom? I mean, if, if Peter says to, to people who are under a rule that they get no say in, and even in a work situation where they have no say in, and he says, I want you to use your freedom to glorify God, how much more does that mean to us in a situation where we have all sorts of political freedoms? Even more so. 
So then what is our conduct? How are we called to live in light of this? And I want you to look at verse 16. I think verse 16 here is kind of our our theme verse. Let me read it again, and then I want to read it just slightly different. Live as people who are free. And then Peter makes a, kind of goes off topic a little bit here, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, okay? I'm not saying, Peter said, it's almost like he's pinning this, and he says, he says, live as people who are free. Uh, I gotta think about who I'm writing to. I can imagine what they're doing with this freedom. Okay, not using your freedom to do evil, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is use your freedom to live as servants of God, but living as servants of God. So here's our theme here. Live as people who are free, not just free in America, not just our freedoms, but free in Christ, free from sin, free from the law, and use those freedoms to be servants of God. Now he's gonna go on and he's gonna say, and when you're using those freedoms and when you're serving God, I want you to suffer in a worthy way. Oh, that's a bummer. But I'm just, that's where it went there, right? Suffer as Jesus did. So here's our, our overriding to, to use our freedom to live as servants of God. And so he's got two situations here. First, in verse 13, be subject to the governmental authorities. Now, I want to just take a moment here. What does it look like to honor the government or leaders, uh, even as he goes on here, masters, I'll just use that term, but I, just so you know, I'm going to go to bosses. So what does it mean to honor people who are not honoring God, who are using their authority in negative ways. And he doesn't address this here specifically. He just says to do it. But we don't read the Bible without the entire context. And I think the best example of honoring authority when it doesn't deserve to be honored is in the life of David. Saul is king. And Saul sins. And Samuel comes to him and says, the kingdom is going to be taken from you. And I'm going to go anoint another king. And he anoints a boy. Really, just a boy. And when he anoints him, he is now the king in waiting. But David waits. And he defeats Goliath and he makes a name for himself. And then he gets... Saul actually hires him to work in his palace, playing songs for him. Then he becomes a warrior and he goes out and he, he defeats Philistine armies, so much so that the people of Israel start singing praise songs to him. And, and the praise songs kind of went, you know, Saul has killed, you know, a thousand, David, 10,000. And Saul would come, they go, yay, Saul, David! And Saul's like, I don't like this. And his jealousy is, is just going crazy. And Saul begins to try to kill David. So much so that David has to flee, and he's hiding. 
And at times, as David is hiding, on more than one occasion during the story, Saul is right within reach of either David or one of his warriors. And they're like, follow the story. Your king, this guy's evil. He's trying to kill you. Here's our enemy. He's right here. David, God has given Saul into your hands. Now, I don't know what I would do, but that seems like a logical conclusion to me. But David says, no. Far be it for me to place my hand on God's anointed. And at one point, right, the, the story that we're, some of you are most familiar with, Saul is relieving himself in a cave that David is hiding in. And his guys are like, go kill him, go kill him. And David doesn't do it, but he cuts a little bit off his robe so that when Saul leaves, he says, see, you were right here. I could have... And David even feels bad about that. David is the biblical example of honoring the position, but being weary of the person. Now, I'm just saying that what Peter says here is that people are in authority, God's placed them there, good or bad, honor the position. Honor the office. And that's hard. So um, be subject to governmental authority. What does that look like? Verses 15 and 16. Doing good for God's glory. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, that's your response, you should put silence to ignorance and foolish people. If there's one thing that is not happening on social media is silence to ignorant and foolish people. So we might want to consider our place in fanning that flame. How are we honoring the position and still calling out the behavior? Don't misuse your freedom. Oh. If he's saying to, this, to people who are not politically free, how much more does it mean to us that are, don't misuse your freedom? People throughout history and all over the world are looking at you going, they have freedoms we only dream about. I, just a simple one is, is <laughs> the percentage of people who vote. I mean, it's minuscule. You have, you've got new countries that are opening up this idea of voting and people wait in line for long periods of time. And some of them are waiting in line going, I know this is corrupt, but I still get to do it. (laughs) So don't misuse your free. We have to live in light of this freedom that we have in Christ and freedom that we have in our country. And the idea here is that we get to be servants of God. And what Peter is saying is you are free from this world so that you can serve this world. Look, you're free from sin. You're free from all this law stuff. You've been given grace so that you can go serve people. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If money wasn't, I mean, if if it wasn't money, If you didn't have to make X amount of dollars, what would you do? 
If you could do anything and someone paid you to do it, what would you do? I remember one time our, our small group was, uh, uh, Pastor Hector was doing an outreach at uh, Shoot Park. And he was at staff meeting and he said, man, just, we want to give away hot dogs and different things at the park. And I said, oh, my small group, I think we'd like to do that. It was a lot more than I thought, you know, and get a license and had to, you know, have things, to all, just did all the stuff that you're supposed to do to give away free food. And we're out there cooking in the park and Pastor Hector is preaching, I don't know, thing he's saying and I know he's sharing the gospel. And I said, boy, I wish I could get paid to do this, like go around and just like support evangelistic events. This is cool. I, I don't know what it would be if you could freed up to do whatever you want. And one of the things that Peter is saying is, you've been freed from a lot. From the wages of sin. From all this lost stuff. And you get to just go serve other people. Now, I've been a pastor for a long time and I do this upfront stuff and this preaching and teaching and leading and man, Sometimes I miss the times of just being a camp counselor. And I just got to just talk with kids about Jesus and shoot BB guns, fun stuff. You don't all have to be the leader of a ministry. You don't all have to be up front. You get to go just serve the people around you. Make an impact. We're filling up a closet with school supplies and snacks. Sean Fishback has already requested a certain brand of Flaming Cheetos or something. I don't remember what it was. But we just get to go love. We just get to go serve. That's it. You get to just go serve the community. And you know what? When you do that, inevitably, somebody goes, why are you doing this? I'm glad you asked. We just get to go serve people. Then he says, look at verse, um, follow through here, verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Give honor to everyone. I mean, that seems kind of impossible. I mean, if I honor everyone, I'm not really honoring anybody, it seems like. But here's the thing, and listen here. This is so freeing. What Peter is saying is, you don't have to decide who deserves respect and who doesn't. You just get to respect everybody. Now let me say it again, because I know some of you didn't get it. You don't have to sit there and decide whether you think that person deserves your respect or not. They bear the image of God because they're created human beings and you just show them respect. But you don't have to, it just, it just saves a whole thinking process. Well, should I or shouldn't I? Yes, you should. Honestly, where did it come to that we actually have to have a conversation in the church? Should I treat that person as a human being? Yes, you should. Absolutely. As created in the image of God, somebody who is loved. Then he says, Love the brotherhood. If you're respecting everybody, you should especially love those who are in the family of God. 
Do we need to emphasize this? Yeah. Sometimes we don't love each other in the church. And then he says, in that, fear God. And then he brings up the emperor again. And he said, well, you already said that. But what he did was really brilliant. He's, it's like he's an inspired writer by God or something. He says, let me just start at the basics. Treat people like human beings created in the image of God. Oh, really pour that love out on people in the church. Because you fear God, love and respect him. And then that honoring the emperor, the position, that'll come a little bit easier because you are also treating him or her as a human being created in the image of God. Now, um, our conduct also moves to this idea of being subject to masters. Uh, Verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. None of us have masters, I hope. Um, Peter is speaking to a specific people in a specific place in history. Rome's salvation or servant, depending slave or servant, depending on your translation, Rome's enslavement is not as evil as America's uh, enslavement of African Americans, but it is still mostly people who are not choosing to be in this condition. Um, There is actually, uh, within this Roman uh, and even Jewish history, there is actually a voluntary uh, part of slavery, which sounds kind of odd to us, um, but you you, you have to recognize they didn't necessarily have three classes of people uh, throughout most of society. So you were either rich or poor. And if you were poor and couldn't take care of yourself, this was an opportunity to do so. So again, uh, I don't love the word masters. We don't have that. We can skip over it. But you know what? Some of you work for some taskmasters. Um, We call them middle management. Um, Sometimes bosses. Uh, You know... It's really interesting, I, you, you know, having worked with the legal system for a while and different things, um, there's a term when somebody refers to me as, uh, how you doing, boss? I hate to tell you, but like I instantly in my mind go, how long did they serve in prison? Because that's what prisoners call the police, boss. I was at Starbucks the other day, and a person of color called me boss, and I thought, I, this, is almost, I, this is almost a derogatory term. As a white person, I don't have to encounter this very often. I feel uncomfortable, but I can't say anything. And, so I, and they've called me that a number of times. And so I, one time I'm just going to say, how many years did you serve in prison? Look, we don't have masters, but we have bosses and people who are difficult. If Peter is saying... Here's your conduct when you are working with unjust, I'm just going to use the term, slave owners, then what should our conduct be for people that we work for somewhat voluntarily? That's a hard topic. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ever look for another job or you know, can't report bad behavior to HR uh, or whatever, but, but I am saying... We need to work in such a way that it is commendable. 
Now, look at uh, verse 19. He says, servants be subject to your master. He says, for this is a gracious thing, verse 19. And then what credit is if you're beaten for doing something you should be beaten for? What if, what if you, you do good and you suffer? This is a gracious thing. Now, gracious thing, I just did a little study. I like the NIV translation better. It's commendable. That makes sense to me. In other words, when you suffer unjustly, it's commendable before God, right? It's commendable. So when you endure, when you keep going, when you have a great attitude, when you keep serving in the midst of difficult times, it's commendable. It's actually God-focused. It's God-focused. It's I'm doing this not unto you, but unto the Lord. If I recognize that everything I have comes from God, then my paycheck doesn't come from, insert company name here. My money comes from the Lord. And I work for him. And sometimes the people that are in between those two, that relationship, are difficult. And so I do it. It's a God-focused thing. And he says here to be patient. To be patient under this unjust suffering. Now let me turn this around just a bit. Let me ask you this those of you who are employed. How is your work commendable? That is, above and beyond what is necessary given the circumstances, pay, and situation. Right? We all have this, we have this point in work. Right? We all have this point where something comes and you just say, that's above my pay grade. Okay? Or I don't get paid enough for this. And we all, we all do that. But how is it commendable? In other words, how is your work such that people go, man, they go above and beyond? That's that's how Christian workers are to stand out. How is it commendable? How is your work and what you do God-honoring? How are you demonstrating a high level of patience toward broken men and women in your workplace? Here's the reality. I don't need to know who your boss is. I don't need to know what the middle management problem is at your workplace. I can tell you what it is. It's called the fall. It's called brokenness. It's called sin. It's called greed. It's called an inability to see my own brokenness outside of Christ. And so I... Am I surprised? No, they're broken people. How are you showing patience toward broken people? So here's our calling. I feel, I feel I, like I have to say, too, um, I've said, you know, unfair employers. Uh, I guess I need to say unfair teachers as well, right, students? So if you have an unfair, you know, professor at school, then you, the, all this stuff applies to you, too. Our calling is to, keep, is to keep our conduct honorable. We, we need to live, we just said this, we need to live in such a way that even evil people go, well, that was, that was nice. That was, he didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that. It's honorable. And we do it, 
listen, not for a raise, not for a promotion, not for a plaque. We do it for the glory of God. We all like to get recognized at church, in our workplace. Feels good when we get a bump in pay. It feels good when we get a promotion. Feels good when we get a pat on the back. But we, if Peter is asking people who don't get any of those things to do it, then how much more should we do it in a way that just brings God glory? That's just for him. You know, I feel like I say some of you, if you're the middle management, then don't be a jerk. I don't know what it is with middle management, but am I, you can also be God-honoring God in that position as well. I just Use your freedom to serve other people. You have an opportunity to rub elbows with people who are hurting and broken. How can you serve them? And let me just give you one way. In somewhere in this sermon, you know, if you're working someplace, if you're doing something, you have a, a person in mind. Um, there's probably a couple room people in the room that, that I'm that person. That's fine. Um, I'm middle management to a few people. So what do you do? What do you do if that person's just really difficult? Let me give you two things. They're both biblical. Start praying for them. Pray for them. It's amazing how hard it becomes to to get mad at somebody who you're praying for. And then, here's the part, find a way to serve them. And not even in a work thing, is, this just some, is there a way I can, oh, you're moving? I'd like to come help you. You're having surgery? Hey, can my family bring you a meal? What, what, what is one way you can serve that person? Amazing how that can change your relationship. You get to serve other people. And then our calling is to endure the difficult world in which we live. Look at verse 19 again. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, really, the four things I just said were just repeating, and here's the punch of 1 Peter chapter 2. Because he goes on to say, verse 21, for to this, to what? Suffering. For to this, you've been called. But while you're in exile, and you're worshiping God, and you're living in a community that does not love and worship God, whatever that looks like, you're going to endure some suffering. Now, most of us don't know really what it means to suffer. I was driving back from school this week, and there was an accident, and it took me 30 minutes longer in traffic. And I felt like I was suffering for Jesus. Most of us have not really undergone a whole bunch of suffering from the government or from, from uh, physical uh, suffering from a boss, although some have, I understand that, but for the most part, man, we've got so many laws and 
agencies and different things in place. We, we need to point people. But he says, look, you're going to suffer. And this is one of those points where if we weren't going through 1 Peter, I don't know that I'd have a sermon that says, you get to suffer. Yay! But that's what he says here. He says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example of what? How to suffer so that you might follow in his steps of suffering to the point of death. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, either online or in person, he did not revile in return, either online or in person. Our calling is to trust God even when it's difficult. Jesus is our example, and Jesus submitted to God, and he said, I'm going to let your will play its way out. David was in a situation of unjust suffering, and he said, I'm going to submit to the Father and let his will play out. So much so that he wouldn't even take something that seemed like it was right there into his hands. Trust God. We don't return evil for evil. We don't run off our mouth. If Jesus were silent while he was literally being tortured by his own creation, we can keep our mouth shut. How do we do this? How is this type of behavior even possible? Well, Peter answers that himself. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. The reason that you and I can honor a position even when it's difficult, the reason that you and I can honor a person who has been put into authority over us even when it's difficult, the reason that you and I can keep our mouth shut and not run it off is because we have been saved by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because we have been called to something higher and bigger and better. Because we have a new shepherd of our souls in the person of Jesus Christ. You've been called out. You've been given a new nation an inheritance, a new hope, a new life, a new spirit, a new shepherd. And he says, you can endure this for a little bit. So what's the application? Live, Christian, 
live as if you belong to the kingdom of God, because you do. Live as if you belong to a different kingdom, because you do. Live as if you have a different set of priorities and rules and goals, because you do. Live as if somebody else is sitting on the throne, because he does. Isn't that amazing? Live as if you are serving a different king, because you are. I'm doing this for God's glory. I'm doing this because I love him. I'm doing this because I want you to see him. I'm doing this because I've got like this whole different thing that's happening that you don't see. Now, this is the reverse end of this, but we uh, were doing this uh, end of life seminar and different things, and I was preparing for mine this week, and I couldn't help but to think of the old Far Side comics. Uh, I just, and I knew exactly which one I was thinking of. There's this one Far Side comic where this guy is pushing a wheelbarrow in hell. There's flames everywhere, and he's whistling. And there's these two demons that are off to the side, and they're like, we're not getting through to that guy. <laughs> we are living in difficult times, politically, in the world, and different things are going on, and Christians are getting sucked into being angry, mouthy, obnoxious people. Sorry. And what the Bible is saying, you get to live like you don't get what's going on. <whistles> Praising Jesus, serving a different king, and every once in a while, oh, this place is going to hell, but not me. Look. We get to serve a different king. We get to live for a different king. We know we're going to a different place. Some of you are probably suffering some hardship. I know some of you are. And I, I mean, I wish I could just take that pain away. I wish I could say, man, that family member is treating you really poor, or that boss or whatever. I wish, I wish I could just, you know, make it all right. But I can't. But I can say this. Don't serve that person. Serve the Lord. Don't feel like you're under that person. Live as if you're under the Lord. You have been freed from so much. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he has taken your guilt and shame and God has put it on the son, Jesus Christ, and he paid for that and he washed it and he gave you a new life and he said, man, you've got something new and valuable and good and I want you to go and live in it and enjoy it. Now, I don't have a super nice classic car or something that I really value. But if I did, if I had that car, I want to just tell you right now, I'd drive it. I'm not putting it in the garage. There's no room in my garage. But I'm driving it. And some of you have been given a life and a freedom, and God's taken that stuff off your shoulders, and you're only taking it out on Sunday. 
And I want to say, take that life that God has given you and that freedom and that joy and that peace and drive it. Show it off. Let people see what God has done for you. And take that classic car. I want you to, I'm going with this illustration now. (laughs) And pull it up to your boss's house and say, hey, can I take some stuff to the dump for you? (laughs) All my car people are all cringing right now. (laughs) But that's what he's saying. He's saying, take your freedom and serve God with it. Take that freedom that God has given you and serve the Lord with it with joy and gladness. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for an opportunity to worship you and to dig into your word. Thank you for each person here, God. We pray that you would minister to their hearts and we pray that you would draw us all closer to Jesus. We pray for those that maybe have not yet found a a hope or a salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would draw them into relationship with you uh, and with us as a church. And Lord, as we talk about these ideas of serving in our community, we recognize as a church that this is an area of growth for us where we want to be more purposeful in the ways that we serve um, in our community. So we pray that you would open up doors for us to see where you're working and where you want us to be a part of that. Uh, We thank you again uh, for this morning. Pray that uh, you'd be glorified in our life as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.